Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Why does anyone come on this show? Seriously, what is in it for my guests? Either I'm going to ask you to talk trash about your colleagues and your professional community in a way that could fuck up your career, or I'm asking you uncomfortable and rude questions about your own work. Why do that show? The only reason I can think of is because that's what we ask everybody else to do. The basic conceit of journalism is that people with power must submit themselves voluntarily to scrutiny and questioning and accountability. Should not that same concept apply to journalists themselves? It's a nice rhetorical question. Turning that rhetorical question into an actual show that books a new guest every week and is published on time, that was a leap of faith. I often get accused of negativity and cynicism. I am a hopeless idealist. I figured that, you know, if I build it, maybe they'll come. And they have. We are at well over 500 episodes. We have had hundreds of journalists accept those terms and sit in this studio with me and subject themselves to me 
And I'm not just talking about young journalists hungry for exposure or recently laid off journalists who are bitter with an axe to grind. We get those too, but we're five and a half years into this. There have been hundreds of people who, who, who get it, who feel the same way about those principles and who come here to talk about their work. We have had news bosses on this show. We have had the former managing editor of CBC News on this show, Jeffrey Dvorkin. We've had the former editor-in-chief of the Globe and Mail on the show a couple of times, Ed Greenspawn. The former editor-in-chief of the Toronto Star, Michael Cook. Well, he hasn't been on yet, but he has agreed to come on as soon as his schedule allows, and I'm sure that'll be a good interview. But those are all people who used to be news bosses. We have never had an acting news boss on this show. I mean... Reporters can tell you about a story, but a news boss, they are the ones who decide what gets covered overall, the editorial direction of a whole organization, what investigations to pursue. They are the people ultimately responsible for the headlines, for the pictures. What do the reporters always say on this show? Well, I don't write the headlines. Well, who does, or at least who is ultimately responsible for them? It's the editor-in-chief. It's the managing editors. It's the people who are running these organizations. They decide what slant to take on different stories, whether to hit publish or not on the most explosive or the most shaky stories. There are not many of these people. There are only a handful of editorial bosses of national news organizations in this country. We made a list here. It's like a dozen people. And these are the people who every day decide what is news and what isn't for the whole country. And that makes them some of the most influential people in this country. Recently, we asked every one of them onto this show. And they all said no. Actually, they didn't even say that. In most cases, we did not even get a response. As a rule, a general rule, I typically don't call out people for saying no to an interview request. Unless it's like I'm reporting a story and I need to tell you that they had the chance to respond and chose not to. But like if I'm functioning as a host of a talk show and I'm asking somebody to be my guest... I don't want that request to turn into a threat, you know, come on my show or else I'll embarrass you on my show. However, if the people who run our national news organizations simply refuse to answer basic questions about the information that they put into the public discourse, that's a problem. Most of these news organizations are right now running like these big PR campaigns about media literacy and media transparency. They're making content about themselves that they produce themselves. I mean, how is that different than Doug Ford starting his own so-called news agency? Ontario News Now looks like a news station, which just exists to cover how great he is while refusing to even return calls from some reporters. Our news organizations call him out when he does that, and they should. His lack of accountability itself is newsworthy. Well, I'm going to start doing the same. I want to bring you a series of interviews with the news bosses, with the people who run our national news organizations. We will resend our interview requests, and I will give you regular updates about who has responded and who has not. And today, today I'm going to kick this off with the one news boss who did get back to us and accepted our interview request. This is a person who runs one of the most influential newsrooms in the country, APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network. When I spoke to her the other week from her newsroom in Winnipeg, Karen Puglesi was winding down her seven-year stint as Director of News and Current Affairs for APTN. Earlier just that day, it was announced that she was going to Harvard for a fellowship at their Neiman News Lab. And after that, she's going to be a professor of journalism at Ryerson. 
She is also the president of the Canadian Association of Journalists. And before all of that, she worked as a journalist for the CBC and for Vision Television. And she also worked as a communications director for the Assembly of First Nations. There is no more crucial beat in Canada right now than Indigenous issues. And for the better part of the last decade, Karen Puglazy has set the agenda for coverage of those issues. But the future of APTN is very much in doubt. And Karen Puglazy joins me from Winnipeg in a minute. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Travis Moore, Dylan Biff, Andrea Buchenauer, Rochelle Saunders, Aaron Hancocks, Cullen Bird, Kelsey Merkley, and Brett Bassion. My name is Brent Bassion, and I am a community development manager from Northern Ontario, and I support Canada Land because we desperately need um, voices that take Indigenous points of view into account. And I really appreciate what Canada Land and Jesse do by bringing on strong um, contributors and just increasing the diversity of voices. And so, you know, keep doing that. And yeah. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Gerald Stanley has been acquitted of second-degree murder in the death of 22-year-old Colton Bushy. Friends and family of Bushy screamed murderer in the courtroom. In our live show today, we're talking about a couple of familiar issues, the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, including the commission, and the deaths in Thunder Bay among Aboriginal people. Tonight on APTN Investigates, we look at the showdown at Standing Rock 
Thousands have made the journey, some from around the world. Tonight on Nation to Nation, what's to celebrate? Heritage Minister Melanie Jolie responds to criticisms from Indigenous artists that Canada's 150th birthday is nothing to party about. Looking at the time, like you started not even a decade ago in your uh, career. 2012. So that covers, like you start the job and it's Idle No More. It was the same year, yeah. Idle No More, Missing and Murdered, later the Colton Bushy, Gerald Stanley, Tina Fontaine, Truth and Reconciliation, uh, Canada 150, everything that we looked at at Thunder Bay was going on during yeah. your tenure here. All of that in seven years. There's Elsie Book took, there was Standing Rock, Attawapiskat, there was, what else? There's been Unistoten recently, Alton Gas. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty heavy news cycle. That's like, <laughs> as a catch-all, like, indigenous news in Canada. I don't know. I, I wasn't looking at it 10 years prior to this last decade. Is it always this eventful? It feels like it's become, like, kind of the most frequent source of big news stories, but also yeah. kind of like the crux of where everything is happening. You know what? It was always this busy. These things were always going on. Nobody was reporting them. You you couldn't get mainstream newsrooms to look or understand what was going on. So it did take setting up our own news in order to get it out there. And then with the, I guess, competitive nature of journalism and, I, I mean, we were educating journalists at the same time that we're, we're educating the public and having this conversation amongst ourselves as Indigenous people. And I, I think actually what really got Indigenous news since the mainstream was the fact that APTN was there. It, it's been around for 20 years. News has been around for 19. But then there was social media. And I mean, the biggest reason that I see for our reporters to be on Twitter is because it alerts other journalists as to when we're reporting something. Facebook is probably the main medium for Indigenous people. But Twitter is the way that other journalists find out what we're doing. If I think back, you know, 10 years and more, APTN was like where I would find like Northern Exposure reruns. And now yeah. I just think of it as like, it is where I will read today what I will be reading in the Globe and Mail and everywhere else tomorrow. And this often happens. I'm guilty of this. I'll, I'll tweet something. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> I, just the other day, I saw like, oh, you know, because I, I was not a fan of what the Globe and Mail has been doing in Thunder Bay. But then there was a story where I was like, oh, that's a news story that I'm not used to reading in the Globe and Mail about police brutality. And if they keep doing more stuff like this, then it'll be worth it. And you were like, yeah, we already covered that. <laughs> and I think that's like the third or fourth time that I've shared something. And I've, I, I follow APTN stuff, mm -hmm. but somehow you don't get credit for the things that you break, right? And this is something that happens to a lot of smaller news organizations. I don't know if APTN qualifies as a smaller news organization, but it definitely is the first place that you'll read stuff that the CBC, the Globe and Mail, I mean, everything we did in Thunder Bay was walking in your footsteps and you guys were supportive and Willow was incredibly supportive. Does that irritate you? Depends. I don't mind having these stories first. We're usually on the ground first. Like we were mentioning, like Elsie Book took. We were there for months before mainstream showed up. And so by the time you show up and it's like a hot conflict, everybody just looks crazy. But if you've been there for six months before, you saw everything when it was peaceful. So, I, I mean, people pick up on the news because we're reporting it, and that's part of what I think the role of APTN is. It doesn't irritate me when we get credit for it. I know you did a whole thing on, like, CBC doing matchers and not credit. Okay, that drives me nuts when, yeah. when that happens. But, I mean, very often, I think with the, that particular Globe and Mail article, I'm pretty sure that they we weren't their source on it. I think they just got the information, and I think we published a bit before them.
but they were already working on it. It's not like they saw it on our website. But there's been other cases where we've done a six-month investigation into something, and then somebody comes up the next day and does a matcher. And I've actually, I, I've called CBC about this, and they're like, I've asked them what their policy is, and I pointed them to a quote that was in JSource, where they said, we, we would never steal somebody's work, we would never take credit for something that somebody worked six months on. And they were like, oh, well, it wasn't a matcher, we did an interview, a follow-up interview on it. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. Our jobs are in the public. Everybody saw what you did. I mean, it's, it's kind of like you want it to reach a bigger audience, but just that detail of erasing the labor and the credit. And you've got a team of journalists who you got to vouch for them. Well, I, I think also just that point about, you know, getting the credit or where people see it first, the internet has actually been a real leveling of the play field, like if you will, because people will follow and they look at what comes down their feed. And so in a way that they wouldn't necessarily tune into APTM. So we just had, uh, when the break decision came down, because we have access to break, <laughs> we held this on to the break. the Justin break decision. Yeah. yeah. We, we held on to break and we got the first interview so we'd have the scoop. And I was writing to you, I was like, I got something for you, watch our feed. And then we're just kind of like vetting it and, and going through it. And then it, he gave an interview to the Globe and Mail. And it's like, oh, we've got to get our story out before the Globe and Mail. And then we called Apple because we're on the, the Apple app, and uh, we said, we've got one. So we got into their like top, yeah. top five stories or something. So that's going to be like a leveling of the playing field, because I think a lot of times people are flipping across, and they go, oh, APTN, it's not really for us. It's not really my channel. But if they're going down Apple News, that's where they're going to see us. Yeah, I feel like there's, there's kind of, like you say, a leveling of the playing field where it used to be like news brands had these ways of distinguishing themselves, be it on the dial if you're watching TV or like a publication that you would consider like that's not my publication. But if you're reading a story on Facebook, if you're reading a story on Twitter, if something is fed to you on Apple News, it's a news story. And if yeah. it's an interesting news story, you're going to click on it. It seems like the the brand has really ascended during your tenure. And I'm trying to figure out the challenge. I mean, just from a geographical standpoint, covering indigenous issues in Canada the rest of us cling to the border. You're covering communities that are very hard to get to, very expensive yeah. to get to. You're covering communities that speak different languages. You're covering communities that have a very fraught relationship with media coverage for very good reasons. And, you know, the, the resources here are not CBC resources. Like, <laughs> They're not. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, first of all, my reporters need to be very proud of themselves. They're always pushing back on me saying, you know, we don't have enough resources. And I go, I know we're never going to have. Like, there is no money falling from the sky right now. I want to give it to you, but I, like, I can't. Like, it's not there. And you notice that we're, we've got the CAJs going on, and you'll see it as the, the nominations come up. You'll see other people, like, from investigative shows, and there'll be 15 people that worked on it. And then they'll come up, and it'll be Rob Smith, APTN. Right, right. <laughs> Trina Roach, APTN, because she shoots, she edits, yeah. and so does he. They shoot, they edit, they write their own stuff. I mean, they have producers and stuff that help them. But basically, out in the field, they're a one-person show. They're coming up with the idea. They're doing the investigative research. You know, you mentioned Willow. Willow's uh, VJ works out of her home. Once the internet got fast enough, we could actually open up bureaus without bricks and mortar. And yeah. we closed some bureaus so that we could hire more reporters. And that helped fill up the newscast and put some more resources out there. So what we try to do is we try to make it that people don't have to file every day and can take a little time with their stories. If they go up to a community, I'll say, stay up there for a week. It's expensive to get you up there. It's expensive to get you back. It's not expensive for you to be up there. Stay up and get comfortable with the community. Get to know people. Do a couple stories. You know, chill. Come back and follow them when you 
when you can come back. If it's breaking, give us a phone or something and, and do the fuller story when you come back. So we try to make the most out of what we've got. But yeah, it's, it's slim. When we were before the CRTC uh, and we were going for a renewal, they said, everybody's cut back. Can't you cut back anymore? And I was like, we had a wage freeze for years. And I've got like one reporter in Saskatchewan who has a car, a camera, and a computer and drives around and covers Saskatchewan all by herself. All of Saskatchewan. There is literally nothing I could take yeah. away. It's, she's using her own car for Christ's sake. You know, it's <laughs> what is your budget, by the way? For news, it's about $7 million. That's tiny for what you're doing. Yeah, and most of that's salaries. And then you, out of that budget comes, like, closed captioning. It, it doesn't necessarily cover, like, rent or equipment, but it covers uh, the operational costs. So uh, closed captioning is a big one, wire services. It covers a lot of things that are sort of you don't think about immediately. Like, it's not all travel and, and salaries. There's other stuff that has to come out of there. That... Sure. However, what you're describing is kind of like a very current of the moment progressive approach to running a news network, which is like basically cut everything that isn't actual journalism, you know, almost have like like a freelance army. I mean, I know that they're your employees, but like they don't have brick and mortar offices, you know, how to do local journalism, given what journalism is these days and how uh, the pressure on on budgets, relying on Facebook and people and networks from communities to to look early for signals and know what to go cover. That's kind of like you could apply that to a lot of struggling news organizations that are trying to figure out how to best place their bets and, and, and direct their resources. Yeah, and it comes to hiring the right people because you have to have the people with the passion for the job and who are going to be able to handle it. And there's been some times where we've had somebody who's applied for the job and they might have 20 years' experience, but I just don't think that they're going to be able to take it. You know, they're not going to be able to put in that kind of work and self-motivation and passion every day, but I'll get somebody who's fresh out of J school and... I just, I just see it in them. Like I've hired people because they've said things like they've been separated for their community and they feel this is their way back in. Yeah. And this is their way to reconnect with their people. And it's like, if, if that's what's driving you, you're going to be able to do this job. I bet it's really hard to find people. Like I saw this when, when Willow welcomed us into her office slash home in <laughs> yeah. Thunder Bay. She had no colleagues. She works out of her home. She's responsible for everything in Thunder Bay, but is she also responsible for, like, all of NAN territory? She can be. Ontario is one of our better resource provinces. So we've got Ottawa, and Ottawa's an actual bureau with, I think we've got a staff of seven there, including the technical. And so they will sometimes fly up and do the northern communities. Willow probably knows them a little better you know, because because this is, our, this is our life, this is our world. So what we've tried to do is if Willow or any of our reporters can kind of tell us something's happening and I need help, what we'll do is we'll tell other people, stop what you're doing, we're sending in a team. Like when we were doing Standing Rock, we were alternating people in and out right. of there. We almost broke our budget because normally those kind of conflicts here, they're over in a month, and we weren't expecting that one to go on so long. And to just be the story that it was, you have the mm-hmm. eyes of the world on it. I just imagine the, like to not be working with colleagues to be either just like constantly driving through Saskatchewan or covering just this, you know, the news is really heavy. If you're covering Thunder Bay permanently, you don't have people physically with you every day. How do you deal with wellness of your staff? First of all, we have like, I mean, we have all the really good health plans and we've got mental health supports. We've got a plan where if they call, it'll actually pay an elder if they need to speak to an elder. So so we do have all of that. We do have these get-togethers, like I was mentioning. We have like a training week that people will sort of talk about how they're feeling. They'll talk with their colleagues. 
So, I mean, encourage them to talk to us. Like, we had one reporter. She she came forward with all the missing and murdered women stuff, and she said she wanted to write about it. She's not with us anymore. Uh, her name is Brandy. And this is not why she left. It, you know, we're still in touch, and we're still very friendly. But she wanted to do a personal story, because she said with all the missing and murdered Indigenous women stuff coming up, she goes, I feel like I want to tell my own story about the time when I was 14 and I was raped and I was kidnapped for three days. And I said, okay, if you want to, but are you sure? I said, think about the pushback that you're going to get. Think about it's going to be on social media and people might be writing to you and saying, I'm glad that happened to you. I hope they do it again. Because, you know, there's trolls out there and they're awful. Yeah. You know, think about how you're going to feel after and do you have a support group? Who are you going to go talk to? And so I felt like we had a discussion. We did everything right. I told her to take a week and think about it. She wanted to do it. She ended up very upset. And she's like, she's written about this on her Facebook and she's very open about it. So I'm not telling her secrets, but she needed a lot of help for about a year. And I think she would say that I was there for her, supporting her through that, because even though I tried to do everything right, and even though I was worried about it and I thought we got it right, it wasn't right. And you know, the other thing that you need to know is that for our journalists, for our studio crew, Everything that you see kind of happening out there, the residential school fallout, or the fact that our families have addictions, or, you know, bad stuff happens. This this happens to our families while we're working here. Just because you go and you get a degree and you become a journalist doesn't mean that you're now passing through some semi-permeable membrane where tragedy stops happening to your family and your loved ones. It's not an easy job. No. I mean, you have to really believe in what you're doing. I mean... I think that journalists, for as cynical and as salty as a lot of journalists and cranky as they are, like they have to be like pretty damn idealistic. The whole thing is built on this idea that if you shine a light on something, it might get better. Something yeah. might fix a problem if you shine a light on it. You've got a challenging beat with that ideal. Do you find your faith in this work challenged? Do you do you leave this post believing that things can get better through journalism? That journalism can actually have like have you seen impacts? Oh, absolutely. I know that we're watched very closely by governments and and other media as well. It's really changed over the last four or five years. And I tell my reporters, it's like, if we turn our head and look in this direction, like when we were saying water, when you said water's a big story, all of a sudden everybody was doing water stories because we were doing water stories. And then now we said child welfare is the big story that we're going to focus on. And you see a whole bunch of child welfare stories. You told me that like a year ago. You were like, this is, this is the next place. Yeah. Like you, you've been looking at Thunder Bay, great, but now look at this. You, you, you kind of like are trendsetting and, and taking it upon yourself to not just worry about what your news organization is covering, but leading other places as well. Yeah, I guess it's a, a sneaky way at it. <laughs> you know? if, you're, if you're looking for everything to be better tomorrow, you're going to be a very, very disappointed person. But if you're looking for change, you're going to see it. And I mean, I think the most important changes are to our own people. I mean, it, it is so different now. I was talking to Dan. Uh, he was the original director of News and Current Affairs. And we brought him back to do sort of, uh, he's going to be doing a reconciliation thing, and he's going to be giving out the reconciliation prize uh, for us at the CAJ. But he's going to come in and do a talk with our staff as well. He was actually working over in South Africa for a while when they're closing off apartheid. And then he came back and he started this newsroom. And he said in his experience over there at the time, they weren't really changing the newspapers, even though black Africans were now getting control of them. And he said, so if we control our own media, are we just going to be doing the same stories as CTD, national, but just be a brown person reading them? Or are we going to change journalism? And if we change journalism, like, what does that mean? And we didn't want to do it, like, we didn't want to be advocates. 
but we recognized things about how we were balancing or how we were telling stories or what point of view or what the beats should be. And he came up with this whole philosophy of Indigenous journalism. It hasn't quite stuck at APTN because, I mean, nothing goes through generations without changing. But that spirit of sort of being a fifth estate instead of a fourth estate is still there. I mean, one could say that about APTN, that it really is cast in the image of a traditional news organization. Like, you know, let's do an investigative show. Let's do the nightly news. Let's do news reports on the web. Like, everything kind of looks like, and here's the indigenous version of the mainstream ver version. But your serving a community that tells stories and relationship with stories is very different. You bring up Facebook. I think that APTN should be credited and deserves a lot of credit for championing this whole area and bringing it to mainstream media light. But there were also other things happening that it seems to me, if I just look at what's happening, there's almost like a renaissance of discourse, be it communities finding a voice or, I don't want to use this hackneyed language, Everybody always had a voice. I just like my my ability to hear it might have been, you know technology has definitely made access. It's just like this part of Canada that you always kind of knew existed growing up in Toronto, but not really like you know how do people live there? What do they think? What are, what are their thoughts on this? You have debates about Indigenous issues without any Indigenous people present, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's possible to access Indigenous academics and comedians and storytellers, and it's just all there. But the the, the relationship to story is different. It's not just the indigenous version of... It feels like if it's just going to recreate the, the same formats and modes, is that a missed opportunity or do you see things trending in a different direction? I think the way I look at what we're doing is that we're telling a different story and it's more informed story because, I mean, I went to the same... I went to a city school, I went to the same school you did. Um, do you remember that day where they said, you know, open to page 100 of your textbook, we're all going to spend a few days looking at the Indian Act? And Yeah, it never happened, right? Um, we're in the history books. During the fur trade, we drop out. We come back in 1967. We're looking for our rights. What, what were we doing in between? Well, a lot went on in between. And it, you get little windows of it, like now residential schools is kind of well known. But we're, we're telling a story from an informed place. And from that informed place, we're not victims. We're resilient people. Our story is a story of resilience, of being knocked down and getting back up and knocked down and getting back up and knocked down and getting back up. And that's the, the story that we're telling. We're telling a story of resilience and survival. So from that point of view, even though we're dealing sometimes with some very dark stuff, we know at the end of the day we're telling a story of resilience and survival. So I think that makes it different. And I think the other thing that you're probably picking up on is like, literally, when the TRC was going on, I kind of felt like, well, first of all, the TRC was only supposed to create an archive. What Senator Marie Sinclair did with it was basically a royal commission, but that wasn't the mandate. Like, he just decided to take it there, so right. good on him. But I, I thought, you know, it's got to get shelved like RCAP, and we, it, there was a part in uh, RCAP, the recommendations, gathering strength, we called them gathering dust, you know, like in Indian country, kind of joke about that. And so I kind of thought, well, this will be something that flies up for a bit and then goes away. And what changed my mind about the whole thing was I realized that reconciliation is not something that anybody's going to give to Indigenous people. They're not waiting for it. They're going to take it. They are demanding it, and they're not going to give up on it. I mean, there's a real change in spirit that's happened. And I think, you know, in a way, Idle No More was kind of like the beginning of seeing it, but I don't think when Idle No More was going on that I really understood what it is. I'm only starting to understand now that this has been a trend coming from somewhere. 
I, I think to some small piece, APTN has had a point in bringing people together and being able to have that conversation amongst ourselves because we couldn't communicate like this before. Mm -hmm. And then social media picks up and people are able to communicate with each other directly. So all that's contributing to the change that you're seeing. It's really interesting to, to think about not letting it go. I mean, we know that the media is subject to fads and themes and trends like anything else. And Missing and Murdered, everyone gets very, very emotional about, and we're going to cover this, and then we're kind of done with it. Well, is, is, that, is that finished? Are these things done? The conversation about reconciliation in Canada 2015, it's like, it already kind of feels like a lot of larger trends are moving away from that. The issues are unresolved, mm -hmm. and the fear of it slipping away, but I guess it's a question of authorship. Who's telling these stories? Who's going to let, who gets to decide whether it slips away or not? Well, yeah, and it, just because it's not being discussed in mainstream newsrooms doesn't mean that things aren't happening on the ground and things aren't happening in communities. Yeah, it feels like Indigenous news is kind of this crux point where all of the major issues that we're dealing with in journalism come together of, like, who gets to tell this story? It, you know, everything that I had to very quickly try to educate myself with in working with Ryan on the Thunder Bay story and working with so many journalists who had been there for so long about, like, shut up and listen and, and respect the fact that people have been doing this a long time, but try to find something to contribute. I'm new to this, you know. I think that, uh, that within a lot of indigenous communities, these issues have been al alive a long time. Should I talk to this journalist? Is it, like, is this, are they just gawking at me? Are they parachuting in? Is this going to exploit me? Is this going to be tragedy porn? It's like really complicated. And then, you know, whenever I, I conversations with Robert Jago about all of this external criticism about, oh, corruption in Indigenous leadership and Indigenous politics from settler communities, and yet that work does have to, that scrutiny mm -hmm. does have to happen. Somebody has to be looking at, at those issues. But the fear of playing into some hackneyed narrative that, oh, well, I don't have to worry about this because these people are just stealing from each other, is the reason why a lot of people turn away and don't even care. I don't know. It's just a lot. <laughs> You know? You're looking a little overwhelmed right now. Jesse. I am. I don't know how. Like, like I, you know, I, I was very. I, I, need, I needed to recuperate for months after yeah. being involved in a project trying to tell some of these stories. You know, to, to to live on this beat is something that I really, I actually have trouble getting my head around as a way of life, as a, as, a, as an ongoing practice as a journalist. Well, because it's our lives. Like I said, these are our lives. So even if we're not doing them as journalists, like when we go home at night, this is what we're doing. So the idea that you're actually contributing in some way to to push things forward, even if it's not for yourself, if it's for somebody else, it, you know, sometimes people just want to be listened to. Like when I was going into communities, I remember being frustrated and I asked somebody, why are you talking to me? Like, this is not going to make any different. And they said, well, somebody's listening to us now. In terms of not letting this go silent again and be ignored again, there was a lot written about APTN and Indigenous news coverage in the Shattered Mirror Report. Yeah. As this country looks towards what are we going to do about this crisis in news, APTN's future and its resources are very heavily tied to the cable television, yeah. terrestrial television system, which is declining and dying. Now that the government actually is handing out money and now that those recommendations and reports are turning into policy and subsidies, I didn't see any mention of APTN. No. And I, you know, I have really mixed feelings about that. I mean, obviously, we've been having a lot of conversations, and we know that we can't keep running back to the CRTC and asking for more pennies one day, like, this is going to run dry. There may not be cable subscriber fees in the future. I mean, those, so we have to work with that. And, you know, advertising, uh, people are a little optimistic right now because there was a study out saying that advertisers are returning to television. 
But I mean, that's not going to save the day in the end. Like, I've really been trying to push like a digital online plan for news. I, I like, I think part of it is going to happen. I don't think all of my ideas at AP10 were really, really taken. You know, so um, I think they're going to do some of the things, and I don't know if they'll do all of the things, but it's okay so long as they're moving in that direction, because they are going to have to find another source of income. In terms of government money, God. <sighs> you know, I, there are... I love that tortured sound. I wish more people felt <laughs> as tortured as you sounded right now, because most, most organizations are like, yeah, give me lots of it. <laughs> well, because I know, I, you know, one of the great things is that our people trust us because they know that we have that distance between ourselves and government. I, I think it's really harmful to the idea of us being independent or, um, you know, in journalism, it's not just, it's not just the fact that it's a conflict of interest. It's the appearance of conflict of interest that's supposed to be avoided. It's amazing to me how many journalists don't get that con Like So many journalists are saying, you really think I'm going to be influenced in my coverage of Trudeau because he's giving my organization a few bucks for my salary? I'm like, that is a secondary concern to the fact that everybody now knows that you only have a job because the government is kicking in those dollars. That yeah. changes the way everyone thinks about you. Yeah, and I mean, that's the criticism, fair or not, that the CBC gets, is that they're closest to the liberal government out of the three choices that you seem to have. And so they get that criticism, and whether it's fair or it's not, that is a common perception of the CBC. So, I mean, I thought if, if we were ever to take some amount of government money, I think the way that it would be acceptable would be if it was like an infant industry kind of argument, where you take it for so many years, but the aim is to, to not keep going back to the trow. The aim is to reduce it, say thank you, you build up your independent business, it was just seed money and you pay it back, or maybe you just take it as a grant, but eventually it's gone. You're no longer beholden to them, and you get in the way. Hey, there's a, there's a few <laughs> dozen ways this could have gone down better, but it didn't yeah. go that way. Uh, it, it went down the way that it's going. And, and But we don't get to choose how it gets done. They get to choose how it gets done. And they did not choose to explicitly and specifically support APTN. Is the future of this news organization in jeopardy? I think that they've got... There's very clever people working here, and like I said, I gave some ideas on how to monetize, and I think some of them are going to go. I don't know if they're going to do everything. I mean, like everybody else, I'm, I'm convinced. I know the answer. I know the answer to this. You know, right. it's like, I can fix it. But every decision comes with a certain amount of risk. And so I think that there's a management team here that's very aware of what's going on in the industry and that they've got probably a good five years because we just had a license renewal, and we know we're good for five years. So we've got five years to experiment, try things, and start transitioning. And everything's not going to disappear in five years. What will happen in five years, we'll probably go back to the CRTC, and there'll probably be a little bit less, and then a little bit less. But as long as you're making it up somewhere. That's what the big picture is of what is being thought of in terms of we're going to have to deal with some losses at some point. You brought up the CBC. How badly did they fuck up when they gave Evan Solomon the host job at Power and Politics instead of you? <laughs> Oh, it wasn't. I, I wasn't up for power and politics. I, I had tried for uh, the radio show, The House. It was How the do house. you even know that? I know lots of things. How do you know that? That is so freaking vague. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? I, I This has actually been a good year for me. I had it wrong, apparently, but I, I, I had something there. But wow, that was like, like, holy cow, how did you? Nobody knows that. Your life would be pretty different if that job had gone through. Uh, yeah, but I probably would have left to come and get this one anyway. Yeah. When this one came open. But I, I do feel a bit like Pretty Woman, 
you know, because I've had a good year, I've gotten some awards, so I feel like putting them in the shopping bag and going back and saying, big mistake, big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I think all the rest of us are better for having had you here. Well, thank you. I, I hope so. I, I like to think that I'm leaving the place better than what I found it. Are you actually leaving? Because you told me a long time ago that you were retiring and then you didn't. And these are hard things to leave. It's a, it's a total way of life. And then the few people who actually do leave just show up as like Twitter cranks. I mean, one of the good things is like I, I think I've done okay as a manager. I miss being a journalist. I mean, back before as a manager, I was kind of a kick-ass journalist. And I, I've sort of been talking to people about these plans that I have like to, to start new things. And uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I'm not going to be that far from APTN. I mean, it's not like if they call me up, I'm not going to take their call. I'm going to miss you in, 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 in this uh, role. You're, you've always had like a little tip in my ear or something I should be checking out or <laughs> some assistance when I'm like stumbling into areas that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> Th- thanks for that support. You know, I, I, I saw something I thought, despite your many flaws, um, I, I saw something that I thought was pretty sincere in you and you haven't disappointed me yet. So uh, stick with it. That is your Canada Land episode. For this week, you can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com, where you can listen to a very special episode of Oppo. It is the Oppo interview with Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybould. This is a very different side of those two individuals than you have heard anywhere else. Check this out. It has to be heard. This episode of Canada Land is produced by Kasia Mihailovic and Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do here across our whole network, if you want to support what we do here, we need your support. Go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. We'd love to send you something to show our appreciation. Check it out. Jen, there's an election coming up in the fall, and you may have noticed that Canadian politics has gotten a little bit bonkers recently. I mean, there's the SNC-Lavalin affair. Nazis are back now, I guess. There's Jason Kenney's civil war. Doug Ford is blowing up Ontario, and apparently PEI is now powered by fish. The point is, so much crazy shit is happening right now that it can be hard to keep up. That's why we're here. As the election looms, our podcast, Oppa, will keep you informed about the week in Canadian politics. Along the way, we're going to be speaking to Canada's top politicians, a whole bunch of the bottom ones, and everybody in between. So listen to Oppo for all the twists and turns as the election comes. That is O-P-P-O, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to 
And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.